Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Thrive for Life podcast with me, your host, Ashling Daly. In this week's episode, I speak with the incredible Graham McCormack, the real world Buddhist who shares his mental health journey in a frank and honest way. Graham is a former MMA fighter turned corporate coach, speaker and workshop facilitator who has battled with anxiety and depression which have led to multiple suicide attempts in the past. His story is raw, gripping and Graham's honesty is to be commended. His willingness to speak so openly about his mental health challenges is no doubt helping to break the stigma and to open up dialogue around the growing issue of mental health in Ireland. In this episode, Graham also shares many useful tips for those who may be struggling or for those who have loved ones who are struggling with poor mental health. So I'm here with Graeme McCormack, aka The Real World Buddhist. Graeme, thanks for coming on the Thrive for Life podcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much, Ashley, for inviting me on. No problem. So we'll start with the title or the name that you give yourself, The Real World Buddhist. Where did it come from? What does it mean? What's it all about? Okay, so it starts, I suppose, just in, in my recovery overall. It had a lot of, I suppose, Eastern philosophy based approach, like mindfulness, meditation, yoga, everything else. I studied a bit of Buddhism as well, just kind of along along the way, as mindfulness was the core of my recovery. And then I went and studied mindfulness, and obviously it's part of the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. So I studied a bit of Buddhism as well. And it came about around the time that I wanted to spread my message. So I was like, okay, so my name is Graham McCormack. That's not too flashy. It doesn't <laughs> really stand out. It's very Irish. And I wanted to reach an international audience. Yeah. So I just got thinking one day, and I was like, okay, so... Eastern philosophy approach, that's great. Uh, mindfulness, perfect. Buddhism, awesome. Okay, what can I do here? Okay, so we live in the real world as well. There's, I mean, you walk down a certain alley in Cork City and there's needles on the floor. People are earning their lives daily. I live in the real world as well. Okay, so I was like, okay, Eastern philosophy, how about the real world Buddhist? So like, that kind of has a ring to it. So I kind of stuck with that and I was going to throw it up online, but I had a bit of fear. It was like, oh my God, what if people mm-hmm. think this, this fellow's a lunatic? Which I was at that point, let's be honest. <laughs> um, I was just coming out of lunacy. Um, but I just threw it up anyway, and I just, I suppose I didn't care. Yeah. I'd gotten to the point where I've, I had experienced enough in my life, so I just threw it up, and people were like, that's a pretty cool name. So yeah. it just stuck from there then, yeah. That's brilliant. It's yeah. really clever. I like the, the implementing the real world part, because you think of a Buddhist you don't really know what does that mean what's the context so you're bringing it back into the real world that's brilliant yep. um, so for any listeners who are unfamiliar with your story would you mind giving an insight into your journey with mental health up until this point so obviously I saw your late late interview I have an idea but maybe for any listeners who are unfamiliar with your story yeah I can touch on that sure uh, I like the way you said insight um, how long is insight <laughs> you could be here all day so I was just going to give it, I suppose, in brief bullet points, just kind of timeline bullet points. So we're talking seven primary school, um, all boys primary school. Didn't, I suppose, didn't fit in, um, didn't feel accepted. People were just throwing names at me that, that really hurt me. I didn't know I was bullying at the time, but, you know, all I knew was that words hurt. Um, it was happening daily. I used to go home and just self-harm at that point. I was punch myself into the face. I continued on at 11 I came home from school again one day primary school and I was just on the way home and I remember just walking home at this point and I was crying from what went on that day and I heard a load of noises over th- over to my right so I went over there and I seen a group of lads who rolled at me 
and I felt accepted by them. I didn't really feel accepted by anyone my own age, so I kind of sat down and, and you know, they were chatting or whatever. But there was a funny smell in the air, mm-hmm. and I just got handed something, and it was a, a full joint of cannabis, and I smoked the entire thing to myself at eleven, and I vomited my heart and soul. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I was a child ingesting drugs, and my body couldn't handle it. So. At that point, I did feel a bit of ease as to how I was feeling, though. Although I was obviously getting sick, mm-hmm. I felt a bit of a release as to you know that the the feelings that I felt that day from the bullying and everything else and that kind of self talk of ah sure look you're not good enough whatever you can't even be accepted by people so it kind of curiosity at that point almost turned into addiction automatically, and that carried on. At twelve, I tried alcohol, and at thirteen, I ended up in a psychiatrist's office. Um, thinking that my friends were trying to harm me, my friends at that point, and I suppose the psychiatrist is just look yes, stay off drinking drugs, or he'll end up in a psychiatric ward long term. So I went home. My mother was like, "Look, did you hear what he said?" And I was like, "Yeah, I did. Whatever." But I didn't care at that point. At thirteen, I didn't care that I would mm-hmm. end up in a psychiatric or a psychiatric ward long term. So then, at that point, I was in secondary school, and I suppose the majority of people that were in my primary ended up in my secondary. So. You can kind of you can see what happened there. The bullying just kept going on, really. Again, in all boys uh, secondary school. So, at sixteen, I lashed out one day. I was drinking alcohol on school property. I fired a bottle across the yard, trying to hit my principal, and I got dragged into the principal's office by a teacher from behind. And my uh, principal came bullying with a big bull's head, looking at me, going, Burr. "I was like, oh no, I'm in for it." And he was like, "Look, McCormick, we've had enough. You'll have to leave." So at that point, I got expelled from secondary school. And then I went from there straight into rehab at 16 in Ashland Hugs in Kilkenny. I lasted about a week and a half. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't for me really. Um, I was just kind of coming to terms that my life was up in the heap and I wasn't really accepting or taking responsibility at that point. So, of course, it didn't end well. So from there, I was back at home and my family were just lost as to what to do with me. And then about a year later, I just turned 18 and my girlfriend became pregnant. And then at 19, my daughter was born, and I just had enough. I couldn't take it. Uh, all throughout the pregnancy, I was just beating myself up in my head. You know, with negative self-talk, just saying, you're not good enough, you won't be a good father, what's the point? You're terrible, look at everything that's happened up to this point, forget about it. And I just, I suppose I just acted out what, what I was thinking, and that was to end my life. So I tried to end my life at 19. I ended up in the, psych- the psychiatric ward, and I was just pummeled with medication for six weeks. And I was just left there really. I was either really hungry or really tired. Sometimes I was both and it was horrible. So after that I was left go, my medication went through the roof. And after about six months of being released, I came out of the shower one day. I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, No, it's Jesus Christ, something has to happen here. Like because I was becoming physically unwell, mm-hmm. just from all the weight that was being piled on from all the medication. So from there, mentally unwell, physically unwell, I just knew I needed to make a change, so I joined the gym. I heard about endorphins, I just first kind of heard about endorphins at that point and exercise and movement and everything else, so I just said I'd give it a go. So I joined the gym and was training away, done fitness for a while, then I started training martial arts. And after about three months, my coach came up to me and he said, look, you're a bit of a sponge here, would you like to compete in martial arts? And I went, yep, of course I will. Um, underneath it all, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> no, no, a lot of fear. So from there, I had a martial arts career until 2012, where I... I fought for a belt in Wexford and I got knocked out in 12 seconds. That was 
that hit me very very hard I was doing very well up, up to that point and then to have such a severe loss it really hit me hard mm. it really hit my ego hard so yeah. things were going really really well for you at that point and that was just a, yep. a yep. big knockback really yep. yeah it was it was almost like just black or white mm-hmm. you know what I mean it was going so well and then boom it just I just got knocked out and I was like oh no um, and it just hit, it hit me hard and from there I just said that's it I'm walking away from the sport I'll never fight again leave it you know again reinforcing that, that negative self-talk again oh there we go I knew you weren't good enough there's another thing mm-hmm. so I went from there and within about six months I had overdosed on my own medication that I was on um, from my doctor from my mental health and from there it just went completely downhill from 2013 around till 2016 I had two further suicide attempts I had nine psychiatric ward stays I had 16 tablets a day of my mental health I was on two antipsychotics, a mood stabilizer, an antidepressant, a sleeping tablet, and a relaxer if needed. <laughs> As if I needed it. Yeah. So that happened. Um, I got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and there was psychotic traits, uh, symptoms. I was just in a mess, really. I destroyed every relationship I had. I actually ended up homeless for three months as well. Um, at the register, I was homeless, was out in the streets, and it was, you know, it was hard. Mm. Yeah, it was, um, it was one of my rock bottoms right definitely um, there's been a few but that was one of them just I remember li- I was actually living in my car as well actually for about three days in Cove in down the road and came along one day was over in town tried to get food came along back to my car where I was obviously living and it was being towed away it was there for too long I just I had no I had money mm-hmm. to keep petrol in the car and everything else but I wasn't using it for that I was using it for drugs so I was using drugs and then come back to the care and it was just I was just all over the place really and yeah at that point then in 2016 I was weighing on the 31st of October 2016 I was weighing 18 stone 10 pounds from all my medication and I just start uh, cry from what I'm looking at here like yeah you're well purely physically yeah. fit now and yeah. even shape. even leading up to that I was walking around I used to fight at 11 stone mm-hmm. you know I was set over seven and a half stone heavier than what I usually was and that was some medication alone and I actually adopted an eating disorder at that point as well so yeah that's where that's where the change occurred mm-hmm. but there was a long long process of change after that so that's just a bit of context as to my mental health brilliant thank you so much for sharing yeah. that and yeah, you're so brave and I totally commend you and I have so much respect and admiration for you for for sharing that thank you very much um so where then did you go about seeking help to get to the point where you are today so obviously there were a lot of steps along the way you said you were in psychiatric care and you were being prescribed medication but how did you get out of the the situation that you're in how did you get to where you are today okay so in the middle of that kind of whirlwind Mm -hmm. from 2013 till 2016 i was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and when you're diagnosed with that, they have a specific therapy for it. So I suppose the majority of listeners or yourself might have heard of CBT, so yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy. That's that's fine, but I don't like saying this, but so anyway, for lack of a better term, but CBT is normally for when you have just depression or just anxiety as your main symptom um, or challenge or issue, whatever term you want to use. But with borderline personality disorder, it's a mood disorder. I would literally fluctuate all over the place, up, down, left, right, and... It was a whirlwind in itself just even having that um 
But when you have borderline personality disorder, they have a therapy called dialectical behavior therapy. And it's mindfulness based at its core. So that's where the mindfulness came from. Okay. So I went in, I remember I had to sign a contract for to start the therapy, which was a year long. And on the contract, it was just kind of the usual stuff, blah, 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 blah. And then it came down the end. It was like, if I feel suicidal, that I would not seek help. And in my head, the second I seen that, I was like, do you want me to die? Or, you know, like, yeah. are they trying to, I could start to get paranoid at that point. I was like, are they trying to test me? That's another thing they're trying to test me with. And it was just, so she went on to explain that, I had the question on that. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense at all. So what she meant by that was on the course, on the therapy, I would learn, uh, I suppose, skills to implement when I do feel suicidal. Because I had been in the psychiatric ward nine times. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that I did end up in hospital a lot in general. So it would be with massive anxiety, thinking my heart's about to explode. I'd have to call an ambulance or run up the road to the hospital or whatever it may be. Lo- loads of other things that were done, even constant self-harm, even, you know, I can actually touch on that as well, if you can remind me in a second. Mm-hmm. But I was always just ending up in the hospital, and they were like, look, people with borderline personalities are always do. It's actually, the rates are through the roof that you end up in the hospital, you end up in the psychiatric ward, it's always going to happen. Because the mood instability will just, I suppose, explode and we're gone. So they were like, look, you have to implement these skills when you're suicidal, you can't keep ending up in the hospital. It's down to you to stand on your own two feet. I was like, oh, all right, that makes sense. Okay, all right. A new way of looking at it. Yeah, I was like, no, I I felt very weak at that point. I was like, how can I stand? I can't stand on my own two feet, no way. But I was like, okay, that's a different way of looking at it. So I agreed, signed the the contract and went into the therapy. And I done one session with my psychotherapist. So it was two sessions a week, one with a psychotherapist and one with group therapy. So that's other people who had the same illness as me. So in the one-to-one session, I sat down with her. She was like, close your eyes. We're just going to practice mindfulness. And I closed my eyes and poof. I was like, no, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. I don't want to do this. No. And I started jumping and kind of fidgeting in a chair. And she's like, what's going on for you at present? And I was just, my thoughts, like, I'm just afraid of them. I don't want to close my eyes. And I always had trouble sleeping because of that, of what was going on in my head. I didn't know how to control. I didn't know what to even say. I didn't even know what I was thinking at times. Didn't know what to label it. All I knew was that it was very scary so that's what happened there and that mindfulness was huge for me mm. yeah, especially with the self-harm <clears throat> because in 2015 um, I had argued with someone um, in a house after a load of drinking drugs after about three days straight with no sleep no food um, I grabbed the kitchen knife and I attacked my hand my wrist um, to the point that the second I had harmed myself that I looked down and I had to accept that I was going to die because of what I, I had seen you can use your imagination on that mm. um, I freaked out ran out of the apartment um, this is about 6 o'clock in the morning this guy passing obviously for work seen everything wrapped his, took off his t-shirt and his jumper wrapped it around my hand uh, pinched as tight as he could uh, ran, rang an ambulance and just walked I presume to work without any t-shirt or jumper on at 6 o'clock in the morning whoever that person was he saved my life Wow. Yeah. Um so from there so that's that happened. So actually at that point within that experience I then went from there after that guy calling the ambulance up to CUH where I had to have emergency artery reattachment surgery or I was gonna pass away um from all the blood loss basically. So that 
emergency surgery was a success they they left me there then and about two hours later after the surgery i was kind of coming around from the drugs and everything else and this guy came to me and he was a hand specialist and he goes look you're lucky to survive and i was like i know i goes thank you so much i you know i just freaked out and whatever he was like that's fine but we'll probably have to amputate your hand so he left me there and then for three days just thinking that my hand would be amputated so mm. i was of course beat myself up again in my head yeah you're gonna lose your hand now you'll never pick your daughter up you'll never do anything like that again so self-harm was an issue even as even at the start of this podcast i mentioned that i've self-harming since i was seven that was punching myself into the face at that point just out of anger and rage just being a boy didn't know how to control it or anything like that and then it moved on to other areas of self-harm i mean just you know cutting myself and holding cigarettes in my face and banging my head against a wall and everything it, it just evolved you know mm-hmm. what i mean and that's the scary thing with with self-harm it, it, it can get worse at times and i always remember when i was self-harming in, in, in the middle in the midst of it all my sister was like you're gonna go too far one these days and i was like oh whatever doesn't matter i don't care and then i did go too far and i panicked that i was gonna genuinely pass away mm-hmm. you know it came through like so, so they managed to save your hand from yeah so they managed yeah. to save my hand i had months upon months of saving over a year and a bit of physiotherapy became great with my uh, physio physiotherapist um he was almost a mediator between me and my family because at that point again i ended up homeless and it was just you know there was a lot going on but to come back in to laser back in onto where i was going with the mindfulness and self-harm was mindfulness was huge to me with self-harm because i never knew that there were stages to how i was acting okay so what i mean by that was i would have a thought normally graham you're a scumbag and then I'd have a feeling of shame or guilt or worthlessness or whatever it is. And then there, I would have an urge to self-harm. Then there's the choice to do it. And then there's the actual action of self-harm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I had a choice. And through daily practice, mindful practice, for about nine months straight of the 12-month course, that's when I dawned me one day. I was like, oh, I actually do have a choice. It, the stages were getting slower and slower. Normally, I'd catch it after self-harm. Right. that's too late yeah then in, when you introduce mindfulness you, you kind of nip things in the bud for lack of a better term you really get to the core of your being and any energetic movement you catch them right very early mm-hmm. even emotion or whatever it is so that was huge for me right when i observed that i had a choice to self harm or not that's where where i would implement other skills i would rub an ice cube on certain areas of my body it gives me that burning sensation mm-hmm. it almost replicates what i'm talking about and an elastic band on my wrist just keep pinging it and coming back to the present moment and everything else there's loads of things that my therapist introduced instead of self-harming so self-harming almost it sounds like it became a habit you had the the cue or the trigger and then the action was the self-harm to get the the reward of feeling something other than the emotions yeah. you're feeling physical pain to replace the emotional pain In, yeah that be fair yeah yeah, yeah that's it yeah and there's yeah. just you can add more to that as well is that sometimes as i said with this borderline personality disorder that there's a lot going on but sometimes there's nothing going on and you feel numb and dead mm-hmm. for months on end it might sound ironic but i suppose the worst thing i've ever felt is nothing and it sounds you know a bit yeah. ironic to say that but it's, it's true it's it's horrible you're living but you're not because you don't feel or sense anything so that was around the time that i would self-harm to try and feel something and i put that in quotes and as well feel because yeah. obviously there's more productive options um and another thing was when there was too much going on internally and I had to leave it go 
mm-hmm. instead of lashing out in anger against the wall or something that I would normally direct it towards myself due to self-hatred. Yeah. That's another thing that would go on with self-harm. Yeah. So the mindfulness kind of, um, it, it helped you to become a lot more self-aware by the sounds of it, kind of being aware of what was going on inside your mind and what was behind the actions that you were taking, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that a lot of your relationships broke down. Did you have friends or family members that you did talk to when you were at some of your lowest points or did you keep everything to yourself? No. So I always had people who were willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing with the disorder that I have and the way I used to act at that point when I was going through my worst was people would come to me and say family and friends say Graham we love you we you know we're here to listen we're here to help you and you know and I would just look at them and go like how can you love me like you can't like no one can love me you're lying to me and I would push them away and I wouldn't push them away verbally it would be more my actions I would do something just off the wall or terrible and hopefully that would speak to them and push them away like but they kept coming back and back and back so they were always there mm-hmm. but there was times that I suppose I found it even hard to express myself how I was feeling. Never mind get it across to someone else. Um, so it was it was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was hard. So yeah. for anyone maybe who has a friend or a family member who is who they think might be struggling with mental health issues, what's the best advice you could give them? Is it just to to keep being there, keep being present for them as a as a an ear to to listen or yeah that's it that's that's definitely yeah so just be now it might be very easy just to say this just off the wording but try and detach emotionally okay um when you obviously it's it's a loved one so that's going to be very very hard but what i mean by that is when you're when you're attached i suppose emotionally and in an intense manner you almost get in their face and you you pile pressure on I know you're coming from a kind heart, mm-hmm. but you're saying, come on, you're better than this, or whatever whatever way you're coming across. What I'm saying is try and detach emotionally from it and just leave them in their process because they'll change when they're ready to change. Another thing is just be a soundboard for them. It used to just drive me insane when people used to give me advice, Okay. especially when I didn't ask for it. That used to boil my blood at some yeah. point. I was like, please stop giving me advice. Um... I suppose that's that's pretty much it. And then one more thing I'd like to like to add is that being a loved one of someone who's suffering, it, it, it's not easy. Okay, so the way the mind will naturally go, it will give you a worst case scenario, mm-hmm. and then you, in fear of that happening, you have anxiety and everything else, and you're just suffering yourself. So one is they need you to be strong. So if you're suffering yourself, you can't be that strong for them. The other is to switch that around is to think of a best case scenario think of them recovering how about that i guarantee if anyone's listening to this right now just stop for a minute as you're listening and just think of best case scenario for your relative now just imagine them recovering in every single possible way now you might go butcher what if this happens and i'm going butcher what if they recover also mm-hmm. you just don't know there's two sides to a coin that's huge and I guarantee that will change or impact how they're feeling at this minute and another thing I'd like to touch on that just just a bit off of that topic just as as mental health as a whole is that if you I say it in my talks as well that if you don't believe there's an end to the mental health crisis in this country you're part of the problem and I say that with a kind heart Mm. 
So it's kind of like your your expectations are going to dictate kind of maybe the way you behave and the way you you add to the problem, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. it. You know, it's it's your energy. We're all energetic beings. We all feed off each other. That's how it goes. If you, if, if I'm a, if I'm suffering, if I'm the person suffering, and, and you're my relative, and you come into the room, and I, I can sense you're worried. I can sense your, mm-hmm. I can sense everything coming off you in that in that moment. So if you can just be strong, think of a, a good outcome, feel good, and just leave me in my process. Yeah. I promise you, I'll change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, clearly, your self worth was quite low for a no, a large number of years. Is that fair to say that low self-worth is kind of one of the biggest issues that led to a lot of the the destructive behaviors would that be yeah a fair assessment yeah that would be definitely accurate yeah yeah so um if someone's struggling with low self-worth now are there any tools or strategies you'd suggest for them how can we get a stronger sense of self-worth or build our self-esteem or self-confidence or belief in ourselves what tools or strategies would you suggest I absolutely love this one and I came up with it myself while I was in therapy. Mm-hmm. So this is the advice game. Okay, so we're horrendous at giving ourselves advice. Absolutely terrible. But we give others great advice. Mm-hmm. Now, it's normally the people that we love dearest that we give the best advice to. So keep bearing that in mind. So low self-worth is obviously, you know, you don't value yourself. You, you've low confidence. You just, you know, you're a bit of a doormat for people in relationships. It's just kind of how it is. That's low self-worth. So if, let's say, I'll give my daughter as an example. So if my daughter came to me with my issues, low confidence, low self-esteem, bit of a doormat, what advice would I give her? Now, whatever advice you give her, that's the advice you act on yourself. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So if my daughter comes to me with my issues, what advice would I give her? And whatever advice I give her, that's the answers for myself. Mm That's huge. That's, brilliant. that's the advice game. I like it's playing It's lovely that and simple. Yeah. And it's really effective. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very effective. I've I've used it. I have clients who use it. It's amazing, that one. Yeah. Um, obviously, but you have to take action on it then. Otherwise, yeah. it means nothing. But that's another that's another thing. Yeah. But for overall, for low, low self-worth, I suppose, l- low confidence in general, try and reflect on, I suppose, periods of your life where you did have confidence or you achieved something better than you thought you did. Mm-hmm they're the things that will build your confidence in the present now because you're living here right now you can go to the past and your thoughts and bring them into the now and it's about consciously choosing to feel that confidence in the present moment again and stand on your own two feet because you deserve it yeah that's really good really really good advice so there are two lovely ideas there like the the advice game and even just writing down a list of times where you were confident or things that you've achieved in your life to build yourself up so you can see all that you've done and really feel into that Mm. as Neville Goddard would say feeling is a secret you have to feel into that and what do you mean by that how do you feel into it as in okay so to give you another idea idea on that is to feel into it is to feel the confidence how do you Mm -hmm. do that you can close your eyes go back to that time in the past and replay it as if it's happening in the present tense that will give you the feelings right now again so using all of your senses maybe to to get you into that moment brilliant that's great um so what has your experience been of the mental health system in Ireland when you struggled? Um, poor. Mm-hmm. Um, at points very poor. And other times really, really poor. And it was almost going up and down because I was going up and down as well. 
So it, it's basically my perception of it, depending on how I was feeling. Now, as a whole, overall, it is very poor. Um, I was very, very lucky to get DBT, Dialectical Behaviour Therapy. Um, I was waiting about nine months for that, and I eventually got it. And in a way, it did save my life. I was going to say it saved my life, but I suppose what really saved my life was me choosing to implement mindfulness in those moments that mm -hmm. I needed to. That's what saved my life. I saved my life, in other words. Um, but I suppose... <sighs> I don't know if it's a mental health system in Ireland. I think it's psychiatry as a whole, all across the board. It's There's no, I suppose, individual approach. There's no person-centered approach. It's kind of you know, one size fits all, and unfortunately it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's a very serious doesn't, because you're messing with people's lives here. I suppose for me, knowing that, um, experiencing it, I'd done a lot of work on myself, because I knew I was going down a slippery slope and I don't know if I was going to come back. Bear in mind I was a father at the time mm -hmm. so that was my only motivator at that point and that's what kept me going. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of work on myself, a lot of self-help, a lot of, you know, very cheesy motivational videos on YouTube and everything like, come on, let's do this. Yeah. And, you know, they work temporarily but it's about keeping that motivation going on a daily basis. So I had to find purpose within all that mm -hmm. and my purpose was to be a father. And then my other purpose when I started to get some bit better was again, you know, trying to give back then at that point. It was like, okay, I am where I am now. Okay, what else can I do? So we're constantly finding that motivation within that little storm that you're in. Mm -hmm. And even if it's a slight bit of light, like the yin and the yang, there's something there. Dive in there deep into that light and expand it somehow, whatever way. Because unfortunately, the mental health system is not the best. And were there any voluntary services that you found useful? Yeah, so at that point... Um, I was in Pieta House three times. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the first two times it, it, it didn't work, and that was based off I didn't want to change. I was suicidal at that point. I didn't really care. I was just kind of going just to keep people happy. That was kind of really it. And then it was the same therapist three times, and Chris is his name, and me and him are friends of, and me and my other therapist from Dialectical Behavior Therapy are very good friends as well. I actually went for a dip in the ocean with her there a couple of weeks back, and we Brilliant. had to go to weather, so. It, you know they were there for me um he didn't give up on me mm -hmm. it's like he could have very easily just been like look i can't really do much with this lad you'll have to give a different different therapist or whatever but he stopped by me Pieta house is very good mm. it's free you know you can walk in the door you don't need a referral it it, it was it was amazing Pieta house really was uh, very good for me at that point yeah amazing service yeah yeah it is yeah so you mentioned you your purpose as a father and also about helping other people and using your experience to to help others um so what is your mission or purpose now in terms of helping others and um do you want to speak a little bit about that yeah i suppose my mission is just to make as much positive impact as possible with anyone everyone and it's there's plenty of avenues that i can go down and, and currently am i i mean we had a talk a while ago just in the kitchen just about coaching in, mm -hmm. in general so I have a lot of life coaching going on. I have a lot of mindfulness coaching going on. I'm organizing a lot of events, workshops, you know, writing a book. Already, you know, I've written uh, an e-book already on meditation. There's plenty of ways, you know, podcasts, doing this, coming on here. Like, you know, people like you inviting me on is, is, is also helping me as well. You know, as it's it's huge, you know. Yeah. It's making positive impact in some way, shape or form. I just have a lot of, 
energy insight and wisdom and learnings that i just want to express to and it. there's plenty of avenues for all that yeah and great. i enjoy it it's fun i enjoy it yeah. that's great and um, so the i might just touch on the power of thoughts again and how our thoughts lead to actions and behaviors and um, you mentioned about self-awareness as well so if someone does have a negative thought coming into their mind like oh you mentioned there you're a scumbag or you're an idiot or whatever it is how would you work through that thought to so that you don't engage in destructive behaviors or self-destructive behaviors what would you do if you caught yourself in the moment of having a negative thought about yourself okay so this is pretty in depth but it's mm -hmm. it works pretty well all right so this is one i call kick the facts okay so First of all, you have to have an element of awareness or mindfulness or observing that you're having that thought and knowing that. We'll just go with the I'm a scumbag one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've just observed that you've just, you've observed observe self-talk saying I'm a scumbag. Okay, so what you want to do is pause and go, okay, where's the truth in that? Gently challenge the thought. Don't accept it. Challenge it. Gently challenge it. Don't challenge it and try mm -hmm. and push it away because it will come back tenfold. That's how the mind works gently challenge it what i mean by that is get a pen and paper write it out i am a scumbag okay and just take a step back from it and just look at it okay now see where your emotions are at if you're attached emotionally to that thought you're going to see the truth in it so detach emotionally try and just let it go for a few minutes sit down breathe whatever it is and then come back to it and when you look at it just say okay where's the truth in that oh because you've done this x y and z in the past your brain is going to try and re reassure you that's true then you can go, okay, was I not, have compassion? Was I not in a bad place back then, making bad choices? Where's the self-compassion in there? So then you could reword that, I must come back into a positive statement and re reaffirm it into your mind again and start saying it over and over and over again. And again, as Neville Goddard would say, feeling is a secret. You have to feel and accept that new thought. Otherwise, mm. it means nothing. That's all. I call it kick the facts. Brilliant. Check the truth of what you're saying in your statements. A lot of them are not true. Yeah. In fact, the majority of them, of them are not. And that's the yeah. big problem is that we believe every thought that comes into our yeah. mind sometimes. So yeah. yeah, like true mindfulness, and like in the courses and through my own practice and, and experience, a thought is just a thought. That's it. Nothing more. It's not a fact. It's, yeah, exactly. It's just a, a mental event that comes and goes if you don't attach meaning to it. Mm -hmm. We try to attach meaning to every single thought and we look for reassurance and belief and evidence and it's oh, compounding it. Mm hmm leave it past like a little cloud in the sky and that's all brilliant yeah um so you're obviously you're in a good place now you're you're kept really busy with your coaching and your you have events going on and podcasts and interviews and television and everything so that's wonderful but do you still get some low days and if you do how do you manage yourself or what do you do to help yourself okay so i do like uh, you know i am a human being so i do get yeah. days like that i mean even as a coach or a speaker or whatever term you want to use they're just labels <coughs> underneath those labels is me a human being so of course i do get days where i do feel a bit down or you know the motivation is slipping or i feel anxiety i don't really know where it's coming from but it's okay yeah <laughs> we have all heard the phrase it's okay not to be okay mm -hmm. and there's so much truth in that when you're actually okay with feeling anxiety that day it will come and go just like the little ocean that's all it comes and it goes the second you go, oh, where's this coming from? And try and attach meaning to it again. What does this mean? What am I afraid of? What am I worried of? You actually inflame it. You give it all the energy. So what I mean by that is whatever you're feeling in that moment, be okay with it. Now, here's the thing. 
you can be okay with it trying to trick your mind and go please go please leave anxiety or you can be wholeheartedly okay with it and it'll go itself so i said this to a client the other night if you really wanted that anxiety to go you'd be okay with it mm. because then it will go if you feel you're just wanted to go it won't you have to genuinely be okay with it with whatever you're feeling in that moment and it comes and goes and that's where it's at for me i'm always trying to remind myself just through mindful practice that it's okay not to be okay mm-hmm. and if you're fully okay with it that emotion that you're feeling will come and go just like waves as you know what's the what's the is it change there's only one prominent in life and that's change mm-hmm. or something that's that phrase i mean you know night turns into day and then day turns back into night you know your thoughts change you have thoughts changing all the time your mood changes everything changes your emotions are no different they will come and go just be okay with them it's really good advice um so exercise is obviously something that's really important to you and uh we never spoke about that that was something that i did want to mention you mentioned yeah. the endorphins yeah. so do you believe that exercise helps you to to improve your mental health and how you feel about yourself and your mood um how do i put this absolutely 100 thousand percent mm-hmm. yes <laughs> um so that's a consistent part of your life now yeah, well, Lil, yeah. Look, i'm human now as well yeah and, and you know there's days i don't go to the gym yeah. and i kind of you know the negative self-talk will come in you should have done this you should have done that mm-hmm. today and i'm just well do you know what i didn't and i'm okay with that now yeah again being okay with whatever comes up but there is days that i just you know i love like i, I wouldn't if you actually go back to to my life story throughout my mma career I believe that if I wasn't doing MMA and if I, if I was just struggling at that point, I really don't know if I'd still be here. And, and I can genuinely say that um, it was a major savior of mine. Now, I was at the gym, you know, training and, and fighting, sparring and stuff like that. And then when I was going home, I was also fighting just with myself. Yeah. <laughs> so if I was just fighting myself all the time, that'd probably be a losing battle at that point i had no coping skills no coping mechanisms nothing you know yeah um i always say as well that with with regards exercise you don't have to get too specific just you know just move so i think i used to do it and i think some people do it as well they use getting too specific as a form of procrastination it Mm -hmm. has to be perfect and that's perfectionism coming in again if you're like that just remember that imperfection is perfection itself um just take messy action nothing has to be perfect in this life just go and do it and yeah i think that's i suppose just with the exercise that people just get too specific so yeah. so i always say and i say to everyone that movement is key you know literally just move your body it's crying out to be moved um i remember a point where i was very unwell i was very heavy at that point and i had a lot of anxiety and paranoia and i couldn't really get outside the door i just thought i was thinking just stuff that wasn't very uh it was, it was crazy stuff basically yeah. um so i remember setting myself uh, just a mini goal but to me it was a huge goal and that was to get outside the house for one minute and i remember setting the timer and going outside the door and just walking up the top of my hill and i think in about 30 seconds possibly i, I just sat down on the floor and started crying i was like just my life is terrible at this point like and i remember my mother just looking up at me just saying graham come back down come back down like and my mother had a habit of following me when I would leave the house, like at times when I did leave the house because she thought I wouldn't be coming back. Like, And I was 26, 27 year old man at this point, like my mother was following me out the door and I couldn't leave. And it was just, it was horrible. But I remember coming back at that point after about 30 seconds of coming back down to my mother and coming in the door and me going, oh, I can't even get outside the door for a minute. And oh my God. And I was just like, hang on a minute. You're focusing on the negative aspect here. Oh, I can't get outside of the house. 
when you actually look at the clock and you did get out for 30 seconds mm -hmm. it's focus on the point where you did get out and congratulate yourself there you go so there you get what you focus on brilliant yeah, yeah. so i was focusing on the negative there there's two sides to a coin i always remember that in every situation there is there's always two sides or two viewpoints so yeah so try to see the other yeah, yeah. so it's you know that's that's just where it at just eat movement is key start small yeah. don't get too specific and messy action yeah so like you said you just got outside for 30 seconds that that's how small you can start and absolutely you know yeah. the next day could be a minute the next day could be a minute and a half or whatever you, you could be back down to 20 seconds the next day or yeah. whatever it's just getting out consistently moving and that's where it's at brilliant i love it um if you had to pick one quote that you had to live by for the rest of your life what quote would you pick um what's the quote uh, the man who thinks he can the man who thinks he cannot about usually right mm -hmm. i think it's henry ford yeah yeah so that brings us back to the thoughts again you know i think that's a very powerful one um no matter what side of the coin you're on again your thoughts are, are very powerful in in moments mm -hmm. again if you attach meaning to them let's yeah. be honest yeah yeah otherwise the thought is just a thought and you can let it pass yeah brilliant so Graham, what's the best way to contact you if anyone's looking to get in touch about the workshops or about your coaching services yeah, so I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm on Facebook under my own name, which is Graham McCormack. I have kind of, I'll put it in quotes, got followers page, whatever term you want to use. Um, yeah. So I'm on there under my own name, Graham McCormack. And I'm also on Instagram under The Real World Buddhist, if you want to follow me on there as well. Brilliant. So be sure to check that out. Yeah. And thanks so much, Graham, for sharing your story. It's really brave of you. And I've no doubt that it's helping so many, so many people. So thanks for coming on the podcast. No, thank you very much, Ashley. for tuning in to the Thrive for Life podcast. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this week's episode, please contact the Samaritans helpline on 116 123, the AWARE helpline on 1800 80 48 48 or Pieta House on 1800 247 247. I'd just like to commend Graham once again on his willingness to be vulnerable, to be so open about his struggles. I really believe that vulnerability is a real sign of strength and as Brene Brown puts it, vulnerability is a path back to each other but we're so afraid to get on it. By sharing his story I've no doubt that Graham has helped and will continue to help others to open up and seek help for their mental health issues. Thanks again for tuning in, don't forget to rate, review or hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in on. Until next time, take care.